I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was a borrower before I was a lender and I'm a business owner, not a bank manager and standing on both sides of that table. I think it gives me a very unique perspective to be able to be more realistic as a lender, to be more commercial as a lender, knowing what the real world of borrowing is like. Kids trying to learn something from professional wrestling has certainly broken more bones than it has fortified minds. But if there is one lesson we could all take from those bespandex giants, it's that a fighter is never really down. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Matt Haycox, funding guru and temporary yacht captain, it seems. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. No, no, I am, I am yacht passenger, not yacht captain. <laughs> that is the better, the better place to be on the yacht, I think. But if social media is not lying to me, I see that there's also a baby on the way any day now. So an extra special thank you for making the time to record this. She's actually just come out. She's oh, okay. <laughs> Even more so then. She popped out early on Sunday, so uh, she's uh, about 40 hours old right now. Well, congratulations on that, yes. Thank you. Matt, you hear life stories often being compared to a roller coaster ride, and usually it's hyperbole, but your story really does tick those boxes, accelerating out the gate to some really high highs, holding there for a minute, and then plummeting to some low lows before twisting and rising again. As we alluded to there in the intro, you're dialing in from a yacht in Dubai at the moment, so clearly... The recovery stage is more than complete. You surpassed even those initial highs. But before we get to that and before we get to what you're doing with Funding Guru, I don't want to put words in your mouth about your life experience, especially cliche words like that. So let me turn it over to you. You started as kind of an ambitious young uniform entrepreneur, turning around a family business like many startup entrepreneurs or, or, or many early stage entrepreneurs, my experience was just getting on and doing it, learning on the job, making mistakes. I guess back then I probably thought I knew everything because I've been reading it in, in books for a few years. I mean, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, not because I particularly knew what business I wanted to start. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make money and, uh, and I wanted to be rich. Back in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, it was very, very much the uh, conception that the only way to make big money was to own your own business. So I spent my teenage years having a bash at everything from being a table magician to selling uh, blow up cushions on the market to buying and selling web domains. And uh, unfortunately, none of them worked out. So I, um, I, I was still at school to finish my A-levels, wanted to dodge going to university just because I, I didn't really want to have myself what I felt would be holding me back another three years. So I, um, I managed to convince my parents to let me take a gap year. And I said, look, let me do this gap year. I'm going to go and do some work during that time. If it all goes wrong, then I can go back to uni you know, next September. I'll only be like a lot of my mates who've just gone traveling. It's just instead of gone traveling, I've, uh, you know, I've tried to make a business. 
you know, as you as you call me, the uniform entrepreneur. That's when I managed to fall into uh, into a family business. wasn't wasn't my family's business. It was a, it was a family business that had been around for many years uh, that got into some financial trouble. And my dad, who had had his own business up until that point, had retired. And he'd made a small investment into this business. And I then got into work there in, in, the, in the sales department. I was never going in there to run it. I was uh, you know, never going in there from, from any high position. That was going to be my learning curve, you know, me, me cutting my teeth in, in sales. But over the first kind of two or three months of being there, I'd be coming home every night and, and complaining to my parents really about how catastrophically bad everything was in the business, about the fact that the existing family, the incumbent family were, you know, what I would deem, you know, robbing my dad, robbing the investors. Come on, dad, you know, you've got to get in there. You've got to do something about this. And he kind of just kept saying, look, I agree with you, but I've been retired now. I've been working you know, for too many years. I just don't need the headache. I think after you know a few weeks of me giving him another headache, he said, you know what, go in there, you do what you want with it. He never gave me the business. He just basically said, you can't mess it up any more than those guys have done. So, you know, go, <laughs> go, go do your worst. I went in the next day, fired everybody, apart from this little, little old man in the warehouse and, uh, and rebuilt the business from the ground up. Not, again, like I say, not because I really knew what I was doing. I just probably knew what I shouldn't be doing or I knew what other people shouldn't be doing. And it was very much trial and error, you know, find, find my feet. But, what I liked about the situation I was put in, probably not so much at the time, but very much in, in the future when I look back, I was thrown into every conceivable problem imaginable. We, we, we didn't have customers who wanted to deal with us. You know, we didn't even really have a, a product or we didn't have a supply chain. Our operations were shot. We didn't have any staff that wanted to work for us. I mean, every possible thing that could go wrong had gone wrong. That business was losing £300,000 a year when I got involved. And after three years, we made our first profit of £30,000. And it was never that that was a big amount of money. Uh, it was just that it was vindication of what I tried to do over the previous years and you know, and a closure to my learning curve that I have actually learned something here. I have actually got something right. But it was never really where I wanted to be. I didn't see my future being a career uniform entrepreneur. I very much like the cut and thrust of having an idea and executing on it and you know, not really managing a larger business at scale. So it was time for me to step away. And uh, and, and, that, and that's what I did. So then, yeah, Matt, you went from there, you, you became an entrepreneur in your own right, sort of growing around the Leeds area in, in entertainment and nightlife, building up a empire, I guess. Yeah. So um, when I was finishing in the uniform business, I was about 22 at that point. I mean, I started in there at 18. I guess, you know, whilst I left there, having said that I've learned so much from all of these different problems and probably feeling like, you know, I knew everything at that point, the next phase of my journey began, which then, you know, proved again that, that I knew absolutely nothing in relative terms. I kind of started my path in leisure, bars, clubs and pubs, not because I knew anything about that market. I just fancied owning bars and pubs. And I think that's probably most of the businesses that, I, that, that I've built or created over the years. You know, they've always been something that I've had an interest in or a passion for, or, or, or it's been a problem that I've needed solving for myself and then commercialized it. But I um, went and opened my first bar in uh, in Leeds. It was a, a very grotty little community pub. And I had, had two or three pubs over, over the next year or two that all performed to varying degrees of unsuccess. <laughs> and I, I knew something was missing. You know, we were purely selling cheap alcohol, uh, and I knew that we you know, we needed something else. Well, you know, whether that was going to be door money or promoter money or or food sales or whatever it may be. But I actually decided it was going to, it was going to be strip clubs. <laughs> and again, not because I knew anything about the business, but at that time in Leeds, I was uh, I was spending a lot of my free time in the local strip club. Got to know the manager, got to know the staff and the girls, and and deemed that that qualified me to be able to go and open my own. March 2004, I poached the manager from, from that strip club, took him with me and uh, found some premises in Wakefield and opened the first club. And 
I, I had to learn how to deal with interior designers and architects, you know, learn how to deal with licensing and planning, learn how to raise money, learn how to deal with problems with regulatory issues. And, and, and this, you know, this was a, a whole, whole new arena for me once again. And then I spent the next four or five years growing what started as, as one venue into ultimately I was the biggest strip club operator in the UK by the beginning of 2008. I had 65 other bars and pubs and clubs. I had restaurants and retail stores and a, and a property portfolio to go with it. And as you say, you know, my story is one of ups and downs. And come June, July 2008, the onset of the credit crunch had begun. My lenders started to pull the plug and ultimately, you know, the first domino fell. The house of cards went down and in a matter of days, if not weeks, I'd lost everything and uh, I'm gone back to zero. Yeah. And as you say, 2008, the global financial crisis. So you've been knocked down, sure. But, you know, if you look around, so have a lot of people. It would have been very easy at that stage to go back to that plan B, maybe not go back to university, but you would have easily found a job working for somebody else. But you didn't do that. You found that spark to get up and start again on your own as an entrepreneur to reevaluate that situation, but to carry on the path you had chosen. So talk to me about how you did that. Where did that spark come from to keep going towards that? Well, you know, whenever I get asked this question, I, I always feel like uh, I need some really wordy, motivational answer of, you know, of how to be picking yourself back up from being down, which I, unfortunately I can never give because my plan and my response was one more built out of necessity and simplicity. I'd lost everything. I had no assets. I had no income, but I had a wife and a one-year-old daughter at that point. And, you know, I always say that I was never born to be poor. The only solution to those two problems was to, was to, was to get out there and get back to work again. And like, I could have stayed at home. And, you know, watch TV and complained about why everything went wrong and things could have been so different. Or I lick my wounds and pick up my balls and, and, and get, get on with it and, and, and start again. A lot of the time when people lose everything, they, they kind of can't get back going again, probably more so because they feel they've lost lost face in front of so many people. And well, that, that, that was yeah. never really an issue to me. You know, I, I don't really care about those kind of things. I think you know, the, the people who are going to look down on you are the people that you think you've lost face in front of are not your real friends and not people that, you know, that you should really care too much about anyway. And so for me, it was just get back out, start from scratch and, and, and start to generate some income again. And, and that, that's what I did. You mentioned funding guru. I mean, that, I mean that didn't exist at that point in time. But since probably 2005, uh, as I was learning how to borrow money in the leisure businesses, I'd always had an interest in the finance industry. And I got introduced to a lender who financed a, a refrigeration system or an air conditioning system or something for me. I forget what it was back at the time. Uh, and that was really my foray into that world of, of realizing that assets could be financed or, or you know, financing cash flow or fi- financing debtor books. And as I had a little bit of capital in the kind of, you know, 06, 07, 08, I started to fund a couple of deals myself. I started to be a bit of a broker to my peers, not in a big way. I, I was just kind of in Leeds, known as the go-to guy for, for quirky lending requirements. Before the yeah. words alternative lender existed, I was doing, you know, what would have been alternative lending. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So when I needed something to kind of get back to and something to earn some money from after the bankruptcy, it was an easy default to go out there, you know, helping people raise money. And that's where the kind of the genesis of Funding Guru began. I mean, we're accelerating forward through 10 or 12 years, but that's that's what takes us to today, really. I was a borrower before I was a lender, and I'm a business owner, not a bank manager. And, you know, having stood on both sides of the table and, and, and you know, still standing on both sides of that table, I think it gives me a very unique perspective to, to be able to educate a borrower better what a lender's looking for and to, and to be able to be more realistic as a lender, to be more commercial as a lender, knowing what the real world of, 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 of borrowing is like. When you did switch sides of the table there, was the grass greener on the other side or how did you adjust to this life of now being the lender instead of the borrower, the investor instead of the owner? Well, when I was first starting doing it, I was doing a bit of lending at the same time as, as, as running all my other businesses. Probably 95% other businesses, 5% lending. And ultimately, I, I kind of made the switch to go the other way to be 95% lending, you know, 5% business because... You know, back then, I think I did think that the grass was greener on the other side, that it would be much easier to be lending the money, you know, to be to be that kind of principle of capital than it is to be the, the, the business owner who needs it. But I think the reality is the grass isn't greener on the other side. You know, the grass is greener where it's watered the most. Every business has its problems. You know, I always say if you haven't got problems and you haven't got a business and it was just really a different set of problems. It sounds very easy, just lending money and waiting to collect it at the end of the month, you know, when, when people make the payments. But as I'm sure most people, you know, listening to this will realise is that is just such an oversimplification of it. And, you know, lending money is a business in and of itself. You know, where, where, where do your leads come from? How do you look after those leads? What's your origination process? What's your underwriting process? Where, do, where does the money come from to be a lender? I mean, you know, but being a lender is probably the most capital intensive activity in the world. It's just a, another, another set of problems. But it's a job and a role and a business that I've loved being in because, you know, every day for me is very much a different day. Whilst the theory is we're lending to businesses and it might be a 12-month product, a 24-month product, a 36-month product. You know, the reality is every business that wants to borrow money is wanting to borrow money for a purpose to solve a problem, whether it's a positive problem or a negative problem. And getting that exposure to those problems every day, that keeps me interested and why I know that there won't be any other space for me until until the day I die. Yeah, and well, let's let's put that in context. As you said, you started small in the lending space, but you by no means a small lender anymore. Five hundred million pounds facilitated in loans to UK businesses, loans that you're underwriting in house, and loans that you you're brokering out to others. So, what is your approach to lending? As you said, it's more complicated than just having a knock on the door and, and lending a business some money. We always take a very commercial and common sense attitude to everything that we're lending on. If there's a solid business story as to why they want the money, if there's a clear route to how we think they're going to pay it back, and if there's an asset that we can secure against to make sure we've got something to go after when it all goes wrong, then for me, that's 95% of the underwrite. And as oversimplified as that may sound, that really is the truth. Because, I mean, ultimately, as a lender, what more do you want than a good business that's got the ability to pay you back and something to fall back on if it goes wrong? But I guess the reason there is a place in the market for someone like us is because so many other lenders, and most lenders, I go as far as to say, like to overcomplicate it by bringing in so many 
things that I, I would just consider irrelevant or unnecessary. And look, it, that's, that's maybe it's easy for me to say because it's not my business. And, you know, when you're lending money, you know, it's your money, it's your rules. But, you know, talking to a, a salesperson from a funder who wanted to come and work for us, and one of the reasons they were leaving the place that they were working at is because they were finding it tougher and tougher to get deals through. They showed me a deal that their underwriters turned down. It was a £2.5 million lend against a £4.5 million asset, very clean, finished residential asset. The borrower was an experienced operator. They had multiple other assets in the background. I mean, for me, that's it. It's done. It's, it's, it's the simplest, nicest deal you could possibly ask for. It got turned down by by the lender that it was put to because it was uh, it was student property. And that lender had lost money in the past on student property with someone else. I mean, you're completely unrelated to that deal, completely unrelated to that borrower, but that that was enough to you know to, to make them then want to decline that deal. You know, and like I say, it's not it's not my place to tell them how to run their business, but it does sound a pretty l- ludicrous reason not to look at what is a high caliber deal. So, so some somebody had a a bad business twenty years ago, or they've got a bit of smelly Google from fifteen years ago, twelve years ago, and that is the only thing in an otherwise perfect case, but it's enough to make other lenders not want to do it and and is leaving leaving so many deals and so much money on the table yeah, and you know i is so dangerous territory for me to start talking about things like silicon valley bank which I, I sort of only barely understand what happened but my understanding of the collapse was essentially being too conservative of having all this capital from their depositors not having enough revenue generating loans they put them in sort of very stable assets and then obviously interest rates went the wrong way for them and those assets lost in value but there is risk in doing nothing there's risk in standing still but it's a risk that you don't get fired for it's a risk you don't get into trouble from your boss for there are obviously good rules put in place and 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 things to keep lenders safe but at the same time it can create this environment where it becomes easier and easier to say no and the less risk that you have on the more you fear that risk and i think your background having seen the worst case scenario come through it allows you to more evenly evaluate the true risk of a scenario versus somebody in a nice high paying corporate job who has never had that sort of drop themselves. So it's great to hear some of that energy being put back into lending, particularly with SMEs. I think with consumers, you can worry like, is this the right loan for a consumer? Maybe they'll be worse off. But an SME you're building a business for the owners, but for the whole economy, you're putting that capital to use. I always think that, sure, if people are being cautious for a consumer, I can understand that. But for SMEs, we need more of this. We need more risk to get these businesses going. As we said, they're 500 million pounds. You've put a lot of money uh, into the economy. Well, I mean, you know, lending to consumers, I mean, look, I, I don't do it. I mean, I guess, you know, it needs, it needs to be done. They, you know, they've got needs like, like anybody else. But I mean, really, there's not too much to look at there. You know, they have a, you know, a single source of income and, you know, you're, you're reliant on the fact that they therefore then don't lose their job. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're lending to a business, like you say, there's, there's many more variables, but, you know, you're normally dealing with a business that's growing, that's, that's moving forward. But I think, you know, for, for me, the primary thing, and this is why, you know, we have a big point of difference being business operators and you know, being entrepreneurs prior to being lenders is that you know when you, when you lend money you know your primary concern has to be preservation of capital before interest rate before anything else how do you get your money back and if it all goes wrong what are we going to do to get to, to get our money back and i think you know what we have a very good understanding and knowledge of is, is how, how to exit from an asset 
and, and that's why we'll therefore take a view that other people won't take on you know lending against a particular property type or lending against a, a debtor book or taking a view on a personal guarantee or whatever it may be because we understand the real world of how you know how do you exit from those positions that's what allows us to be more reactive look a bigger company is always going to move slower than a smaller company or, or, or an ind- individual but you know if you don't know within hours or days where you know at the maximum of, of meeting a borrower of underwriting a deal that you want to do it or not then then you shouldn't be doing it anyway i mean what, you know, what is there to talk about after 18 days never 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 mind 18 months you know it's i think you know the problem is you know, the, these big, the bigger lenders the bigger companies you know it's it's somebody in a suit on a six figure salary who's more scared about losing the job than they are about about doing any any business and you know we always say we're looking for a reason to say yes as a, as opposed to an excuse to say no because you know, like you say nobody gets nobody gets fired for avoiding a mistake but um ultimately they're going to get fired fired someday if, if they don't do some business yeah and um you're talking about 500 million pounds worth of yeses that you've said over time are there any businesses that sort of stick in your mind in terms of you've provided them the capital they needed maybe nobody else would and you've then seen that business take off we tend to do more short-term lending. I mean, a, a typical deal for me is probably nine to 18 months. You know, we're, we're bridging a situation, you know, we're, we're fixing a short-term problem. So in that in that short term, 90% plus of our customers, I never have any contact with, you know, 12, 18 months down the line. What what we do have, are, you know, are certain repeat business owners, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a client in the leisure space, I've got a client in the renewable energy space, I've got a client in the modular building space. And these are guys that come back to, you know, back to us time and time again. We'll use our short-term expense money you know for, for them to acquire a position in something or or, or to, to buy an asset and then they'll come and bring in some cheaper longer term money to refinance it out and we and we roll and we go and do the same again and the same again so you know i, I get i get to see those kind of guys grow but uh, but you know n- normally i guess the the pleasure if you like in what we do isn't so much watching the journey of that customer five years down the road 10 years down the road it's more it's more that like instant gratification of the fact that they've got a problem today and we fixed it for them tomorrow matt if somebody listening is in the business space and looking for funding or maybe they just want to understand a little bit more how this works in terms of engagement with customers and i guess two where can people go to see that and, and to learn more about the business we have a website, we have an online presence. We also have guys on the ground and guys answering the telephone back in the office. But in, in the first instance, people can jump over to the website, which is www.fundingguru, that's F-U-N-D-I-N-G-G-U-R-U.com, fundingguru.com. Jump over there, you can read some of our articles, you can see what we like, you can see what you don't. we don't like, you can have, have, have a read through uh, all our different product categories as well. Uh, and you can also jump over to www.matt-haycox.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-Y-C-O-X.com. That's uh, a bit less about lending and a bit more more about gen- general business and problems and, and growth strategies and, and um, I guess, things I can bring to the table. But anywhere between those two sites, you'll, you'll find me, you'll find my team, and uh, hopefully we can give you a solution to a problem. Yeah, and I'll put those links in the show notes as well. But, Matt, you touched on something important there. You know, it's not just about the capital. It's not just another place to to find money. You've got all these business insights. And as you said, you take a real interest in the businesses that you lend to and, and solving their problems to to make them successful. So let's talk about that side of things before we go. If I'm a business owner and I'm feeling a capital crunch, maybe I'm looking at you know the property market the way it is now and saying there's some good deals there either to acquire some assets or maybe to even acquire a competitor who hasn't been successful and i need some capital to do that do they need to come to you 
with sort of a fully fledged idea of what they want? Or can they approach you and do some of that consulting, some of that brainstorming with your team there and, and how to make it all come together? I guess there's there's two sides or two answers to that question. I mean, you know, with with my with my lenders hat on, you know, we we, we like um, a, a fully finished plan proposal. You know, a, a very clear structure of, of of what what the borrower wants. You know, what the assets are, how they're going to repay us back, etc. And my advice to anyone looking to borrow money is: the more information you go armed with to to the lender, the better. Far too often, business owners or, or, or other finance brokers, you know, literally give a name and a number with a, a picture of an asset at best, and go, "Oh, you know, this guy wants to borrow a million quid or half a million quid or whatever the figure is." And as flippant and almost laughable as that probably sounds to people outside the industry, anyone in the industry, you know, knows what I'm talking about there. That you know, that these deals just land on your desk, and, and there's less than three percent of the information there to make the required decision. So, if you're a, if you're a business owner and you're looking to looking to borrow the money, put as much of a goodie pack together as you possibly can before you start. Accounts, bank statements, why you need the money, how you're going to pay it back, what are the risks, what are the mitigants, and you know, really, really put a mini business plan together there. But to answer the second part of your first question, which was, you know, can they sit down for consultancy? Can we help them? Yes, is the short answer. Not so much as funding guru, but on the other side of my business, which is, you know, which is with my, myself and my team, then, then yes, we'll, we'll work with business owners, you know, whether that's startups, more experienced businesses, you know, businesses on a growth trajectory or businesses who are, who are suffering some kind of financial turnaround fate. Yes, you know, we'll, we'll work with those to give them the advice and support that they need uh, and then look to help them raise the money, whether that's money that we provide or whether, whether that's money that we can take them to the market to get. But we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll lick them into shape and make sure they're packaged for the best chance of success. One last thing. You're clearly a man full of energy and who likes to take on new challenges. The world, as we're experiencing at the moment, is full of volatility, but also of opportunity. So as you're sitting there on the boat thinking about what you're doing next, where are you investing your energies? What are you focusing on that maybe we could keep an eye on and, and see what develops? I mean, we've been working on a, on a banking platform lately. Uh, I think for me, that is going to be the next big step. I mean, you know, wh- where fintech's been, or, or rather where alternative lending's been over, over, the, over the last 10 years or so, for me, there's going to be an even bigger play in the banking space, in, in, in the, in the neo-banking space. I mean, I know that's, that's already happening to a degree with the Revoluts and the Wises and, and, the, and the more consumer-facing banks, you know, payment services providers. But there's a massive unfilled gap in the, in the commercial side of that. We've already got a live product. Uh, it's got a lot of work to go on it. But I think you know, what we want to do is bring the same commercial attitude to underwriting that we've brought to lending and do that to banking compliance as well you know i'm sure you, you know yourself anybody listening to this has got a story that they've either can tell themselves or that they've heard about a bank account being closed or a bank account being slow to open or you know a payment being held up for, for whatever reason that may be the actual day-to-day banking services are almost now in as horrific state as, as lending services are. That's going to be the next big play for us over the, over the coming two, three, four, five years. But I think you know whatever I'm doing along the side, lending to SME businesses, uh, you know, raising that money and deploying that money to someone who's got a problem to solve. I just I can't see how I'll ever be doing anything else. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that, Matt. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. 
Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.